The following message is by Brother Connor Harris, Associate Pastor at North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. If you'd like to this morning, be following along in your Bible, you can be turning to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, We're going to look at the first 11 verses today. Are you afraid of looking weak to the world? Are you afraid of looking weak to this world? To looking maybe like a failure at times? To looking maybe like a disappointment to this world? If I were to ask you to describe John the Baptist in a couple words, one word that you probably wouldn't think of as weak, you probably wouldn't think of him as a disappointment or as a failure, any of those words. You'd probably think about John the Baptist as a strong man. He was bold. He was courageous. Uh, he was that one who, who came out in the wilderness boldly proclaiming the word of God. Uh, when you think about John the Baptist, you may think about verses like these from Matthew 3 where uh, John preached this message. He said, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Talking about the Lord, John the Baptist said, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist came preaching that message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. That's how we remember John, isn't it? That's how we remember his life and the character he had. He lived in the wilderness, he wore rough clothing, he ate rough food, and he boldly proclaimed the word of God. Yet, there was a time at the end of John's life when I think people started to maybe question John's legacy, started to question uh, the life that he had lived maybe, and even maybe wonder for themselves, uh, was he worthy of honor? Was he deserving of of, uh, accommodation? Uh, Or was he weak? Did he end up being a failure? This morning, we're going to see what the Lord himself had to say about John the Baptist. We're going to read what God thought about his servant and how God viewed him versus, I think, how the world was starting to look at John. And this morning, my prayer for us is that as we would leave here and after studying these verses together, we would have a a greater desire to be pleasing to our God and not worry so much about looking like a fool to the world who doesn't receive our Lord. Let's read starting in verse 1 of chapter 11 in Matthew. Matthew writes, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. 
What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus' ministry at this point was starting to increase. It had increased quite a bit already by Matthew chapter 11. Meanwhile, John the Baptist's ministry had started to dwindle. It started to go away. He had fewer and fewer people who were following him as he pointed them, pointed his followers to the Messiah, Jesus. And we get a little bit of context in verse 1. Matthew tells us when Jesus had finished uh, instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Jesus had just spent some time with a, again, personal teaching for his, uh, his, his 12 disciples, the apostles, sending them out uh, to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as, they finished instru- as he finished instructing them, he went out and began to teach and to preach in their cities. And the ministry of Jesus really became, as, as it grew more and more, and John's ministry you know, dwindled and, and started to go away, Jesus' ministry really wasn't what many Jews were expecting. It wasn't what they were looking for. Uh, he was preaching and teaching. He wasn't this king who they, they expected him to be, who was going to establish this earthly kingdom when he came, who was going to defeat all the enemies of the nation of Israel. Uh, he didn't come as this conquering king, but came meekly. Uh, he came peaceably. Uh, he came eating and drinking with sinners, in fact. In the previous, uh, in, in back in chapter 9, you can read about how they, they asked Jesus, why don't you fast? Why don't your disciples fast? Why are you eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors? You called Matthew to be a disciple, a tax collector among the Jews. He wasn't what they were expecting. And even the 12, Jesus, some of Jesus' closest followers who, who spent the most time with him, even they had their concerns at times. Who is... Jesus isn't exactly who we thought he was going to be. We believe that he's the son of God. We believe that he is the Messiah, but boy, he sure isn't living like we thought he was going to. We thought he was going to do so many other things, so much more. And I think then in verse 2 we see uh, that John had the same concerns. He had the same questions, we can put it this way. Because John, as he received word about the life of Jesus and the things that he was doing, John received these things while he himself was in prison and had questions about, Jesus, you know, are, are you the one that we've been expecting this whole time, or is there something we're missing? Is there, is there someone else that we should also be looking forward for? Verse 2 tells us that John was in prison. John had uh, faithfully uh, stood for righteousness. He had faithfully, faithfully preached the word of God. And it had gotten him put in prison by Herod Antipas. He had called out immoral behavior that Herod was involved in. Uh, again, I, he, he was, um, again, he was in, a, in an immoral relationship with his brother's wife, I believe it was. John called him out and, and, and called righteousness righteousness and called sin sin. And Herod took him and he, he put him in a dungeon. And at this point in, in chapter 11 of Matthew, John the Baptist is, is living. He's living in the bottom of a deep, dark dungeon near the palace where Herod dwelled. And John, every once in a while, was getting these messages from his disciples, those who were still following him, those who were still clinging to him. 
he would get these messages from them about who Jesus was, who, how he was living. John had met Jesus before, obviously. Uh, John, had, John knew who he was, but he was hearing about this life. Jesus is he's not fasting. He, he's eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. And I think as John sat in prison, I think he had his own questions about Jesus' works here. You know, John, let's make no mistake here that John here is not doubting that Jesus is the Messiah. John has uh, no reason to, to doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, if you go back and you look in John chapter 1, I want to read from you a couple quotes. These are things that John the Baptist said about Jesus when Jesus came out to be baptized by him in the wilderness. Listen to what John the Baptist said himself about Jesus. He said, it says that John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. It remained on Jesus. God clearly pointed out, this is the man that I've been preparing the way for. This Jesus, he is the Messiah. John called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John called him the Son of God. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. He, he knew that he was the Messiah, but there were things they expected the Messiah to do that Jesus wasn't doing. And I think Jesus sends these messengers in verses 2 and 3 to Jesus. Uh, I'm sorry, John sends these messengers to Jesus um, looking for assurance from Christ, looking for some, some understanding. John didn't understand. He's hearing pieces of these messages brought to him, and he says, I, I, I don't understand. Jesus, help me, I think is the idea here. When he hears about the deeds of Christ in verse 2, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to Jesus, said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In other words, Jesus, we had all these ideas about who the Messiah was going to be and what he was going to do when he came, and Jesus, boy, Jesus was fulfilling it all along the way, but it wasn't, it wasn't everything they expected, and there were some things that were very, very different to them. John's looking at his life and he goes, are you the one that we've been expecting? Are you the one who's fulfilling all, all the scripture that, that we've been looking forward to, that the people have been looking forward to? Or is there something else we're supposed to be looking for? Is there another person that we're supposed to be expecting to come to fulfill all these prophecies that we, we thought were talking about the Messiah? John knows who Jesus is. This isn't a question of doubt. It's, it's a man who has faith in the Lord asking for some assurance, I think. Looking for some understanding. And what an application there is for us that, again, when you don't understand God's word to not immediately doubt and assume there's something wrong with what the word says, but to, to seek out instruction, to seek out understanding from the word of God, to study it for yourself, to meditate on it. John goes to the source. Jesus, tell me. I give, give me some assurance. Are we, am I supposed to look for someone else, or are you the one who is to come? Are you, are you the one who's going to fulfill all these things? And Jesus' answer in verses 4 through 6 is wonderful, because, you know, if, if John had sent a message to me, asking me this question, I probably would have sent a one-word response back to him, yes. You know, <laughs> yes, John. You don't have to doubt, yes. I, I am the one. I am the Messiah who is to come. But instead, Jesus gives an answer here, uh, and he doesn't say, yes, I'm everything that the people are expecting me to be. Instead, he points to the scripture that he knows John believes. John, I want you to look at the scriptures. I want you to consider for yourself my actions and compare them to what you know the word of God says about the Messiah. 
And in verse 4, Jesus answers them. He says, give this message to John. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is very uh, reminiscent of some scripture, especially from the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 29, verses 18 and 19, listen to this. Speaking about the Messiah, looking forward to his coming. It says, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. John, I want you to think about the Word of God. I want you to look at my life. Go tell John what you see. You disciples of John the Baptist, go back and tell him what you're witnessing from my life. Tell him all these things I'm doing that are signs of the Messiah. These are things that the Messiah was going to do. I think Jesus knew... (laughs) that John believed the word of God. He believed the scriptures and was looking for some, some understanding, looking for some, some assurance. And Jesus gives him just that. Tell him what you see, and he'll understand it's exactly who the Messiah was supposed to be. And in verse 6, he says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus came, and he was exactly who scripture said he was going to be. He was this stone that for those who believed in him, would be the cornerstone, would be, would be the most important part of, of the building, would be the one who gave them eternal life, but to those who rejected him, he would be that stone. Those who were offended by him, who stumbled over his name and didn't believe in him, he would become that stone that crushed them. He would be the stone that they, they overlooked, and it would destroy them. Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John, you, you have no reason to, to uh, again, no reason to, to be concerned about my life, look at how I'm living, I am the Messiah. John, I think, here receives the assurance that he needed. But I want to go on to the next verses because I think this is an interesting turn here in verse 7. Because we spend a few moments here where we have this exchange between Jesus and John's disciples, and it's essentially a conversation between Jesus and John. It's encouragement for John as he's in prison, and he's in that gloomy place, and he's having these questions, these thoughts. Jesus gives them the assurance, but as John's disciples are going away in verse 7, Jesus now turns to the crowds. There are crowds of people who have been following Jesus around for a long time, and all these people were there when the disciples of John came. They heard the questions that John had. They heard the response, I think, probably of Jesus here that we just read. And Jesus takes this opportunity. I want you to see this. He takes an opportunity here in the next verses to commend John the Baptist and I think to teach the crowds what God values in a person, the kind of lifestyle, the kind of qualities that God, uh, he's pleased with. Is John a pitiful man? Is John weak? Is John a kind of man you should look down on or is deserving of no honor? He's in a prison. Should you associate with John? Should you, should you claim to, 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 again, should you claim him as someone who you, you followed and you believe his message? Is he, is he honorable there? And look what he says in verse 7 to the crowds. He says, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? <laughs> I love that question. 
you guys stop for a second. I, I know maybe what you're thinking about John right now and how his life looks like it's in a bad spot. It looks like he's in this dark prison by himself and he's, he's weak and it's disappointing what's happened to him. But think back to what you went out in the wilderness to see. Think back to the times that you were going uh, out into the wilderness to see John and you think about who he was. You think about the life that he lived. Said, so what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. I love these two questions. Jesus, um, just in a very uh, rhetorical way here, uh, he, he asked him first, did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind? Jesus is speaking figuratively, of course, right? Did you go out to see this, this thing that is easily shaken? Every wind of change, every pressure applied to a reed pushes it around. When the wind blows, a reed falls over. It bends, it shakes back and forth. It's easily moved, we could say. All right, you guys who are, who are thinking about John and maybe you're wondering about who he really is and the life he's lived, think back to the wilderness. Did you go out there to see a man who is easily moved? Did you go out there to see a man who changed the way that he lived with every pressure of the people around him? Did you go out to see a man who was easily changed in his mind every time someone opposed him? When the Pharisees and scribes, uh, so when the Pharisees and Sadducees came to, to John for baptism, John called him out as a brood of vipers. John, John wasn't concerned about the opinion of man. John was firm, following the Lord and preaching his word. He wouldn't be moved like a reed shaken in the wind. In verse 8, Jesus says, what then did you go out to see? You didn't go to see a reed shaken in the wind, I can tell you that. Verse 8, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Did you go out to see a man who cares about the comforts of his life? <laughs> when John was out in the wilderness and he was eating on locusts and honey and he was wearing animal skins and he was, he was out there, was he a man that was wearing soft clothing? Jesus says, behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. The, the, the kind of people who wear the soft clothes they dwell in, the, they dwell in the, the royal places, the noble places. They have the comforts, the luxuries in life. Was that the kind of man that John was? Was that the kind of man that John wanted to be? You didn't go out there to see a reed shaken, someone who was easily moved. You didn't go out there to see a man who cared about the comforts of this world. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, uh, he wasn't pursuing earthly treasures. He wasn't pursuing earthly comforts. You went out there to see a man who was faithfully planted in the word of God, who was willing to boldly proclaim God's word and serve him above all else. He's not a reed. He's not a man dressed in soft clothing. So finally in verse 9, Jesus says, what then did you go out to see, a prophet? And Jesus says, yes, I, I agree. He is a prophet. But he says, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. You know, unfortunately, this is sometimes how we, we judge people and we look at people today. Uh, we see the outside. We see the conditions that they're living in, the circumstances they're in, and we, we maybe start to judge them for that. Or maybe we even start to judge, well, I, whether or not God is pleased with that person because of the circumstances they're living, because of the, the, the way their life has gone. We, we, we have a very external, physical view of things. God looks to the heart. And when he saw John the Baptist, 
and Jesus was talking about him, Jesus, Jesus valued him. He saw him as this, this stalwart servant, the servant who wouldn't be moved. He was, he was boldly following the Lord. And he wasn't just a prophet. You know, the prophets are, are deserving of honor. We think about men like Isaiah and Jeremiah who suffered uh, at the hands of men to boldly proclaim the word of God, to be faithful to it. John the Baptist was a prophet. He was sharing the word of God. He was proclaiming God's message to the people. But he was even more specific than just a, a prophet. He had a very, a very highly honored purpose, a highly honored role that God gave him. John came to be a messenger, a forerunner, we would say, for the Messiah. John came to be the one who, who went to the people of Israel before Jesus got there and said, you need to prepare your hearts. You need to repent, change your way, turn, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Your king is coming. John had that special role. Jesus quotes from Malachi. It's in Malachi chapter 3. If, if you want to read that, you can. Back in Malachi's day, when the people of Israel were complaining against God, you know, when's the God of justice going to show up? When's the God of judgment going to show up? They themselves were sinful, and yet they complained against the Lord. And God tells them, I'm coming. One day I'm going to show up to my temple, but before that day, I'm going to send my messenger to prepare the hearts of those who will listen. That was John's role, to prepare the hearts of the people for God's arrival to his temple. John was commendable. John was a servant. He humbled himself all along the way, just obeying God and doing what he was supposed to do to serve him. He wasn't pitiful. Just because John was in prison, just because John was suffering at the hands of the world, didn't mean that God was displeased with him. Didn't mean that, that God uh, thought him a failure or a disappointment. John was in prison because he was a servant. John was in prison because he was doing what the Lord called him to do. Thankfully, God is a much better judge of character than we are. God sees the heart. He uses the right standards. While people were seeing John, I think, as, as sort of a pitiful man, Jesus saw him as this unshakable servant of God. Uh, and he takes it even further in verses 11. And I think with his last verse, Jesus really, uh, really focuses in and teaches the people what God counts as greatness. He, he's given them the example. He's, he's already pointed them to the example of John. Look at how John lived. He was more than a prophet. He was this unshakable reed. He wasn't this man dressed in soft clothing, but he, didn't, he wasn't concerned about the, cares of this, about the comforts of this world. Uh, he was that unshakable servant. And then Jesus says in verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John was not despised by God. God himself said there's no one greater. God said, John, John's a great man. John, John's been a great servant. It says, among those born of women, that's all of us, right? Among those born of women, he says, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. I think, I think Jesus is kind of saying here, he doesn't, it doesn't, he's speaking a little bit, I think, hyperbolically, and especially because of what he's going to say in the next line, but he's saying that you don't, John is great. He, he's, he's an example of greatness. It doesn't get greater 
than, than the kind of the service that he lives. And yet, Jesus says, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. It's one of those times where Jesus teaches and he says two things and you just go, what are you, what are you, what are you saying to you? What are you talking about? John the Baptist was great because he was a humble servant. And all throughout Matthew, Jesus teaches this lesson to his disciples over and over again, that what God counts as a great quality, what God counts as greatness, what the kingdom says is great, is the humble servant. It's being, having a childlike humility. In fact, later, Jesus will take his disciples aside and he'll begin to teach them, and he'll tell them that if, in fact, he, he gathers them all together, he gathers his disciples, these grown men, the, all these adults who have been following him around. He gets them close together to teach them something. And he pulls a child alongside them. And you can just picture this, this, this small child whose feet, you know, multiple feet shorter than all these adult men who've been following Jesus around. And Jesus says, he points at the child and says, if you don't become like this child, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, the person who's like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He was talking about humility. He's not saying you literally have to be a child. Uh, he's not saying you have to be small in physical stature. Jesus teaches his disciples and teaches them again here that greatness in God's kingdom is about being the most humble servant you can be. Being humble before the Lord and being that servant to those around you because of your faith and your humility before the Lord. And I think that's the way in verse 11 that Jesus is using this word least. That's where there's, there's some different ideas about what Jesus says here. Where Jesus says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That word for least, it can be, it's used in a lot of different ways, which is where there's some disagreement about this verse. Sometimes it was used to describe someone who is physically small. Um, sometimes it described a person who was young in age. And here, I think it's speaking metaphorically, it's the same word that Jesus will use later about being humble as a child. Um, and I think that's how he uses it here, being, being least, being the humble one, being the lower one, not putting yourself above others, but being that humble servant of the Lord and serving the people around you. Greatness in God's kingdom is about being a humble servant. John the Baptist set a tremendous standard for us to look at. Uh, he's not someone to look down at, but instead you and I should count it a joy when we should suffer for the sake of Christ, to suffer for being a servant of God, being a servant of righteousness. When people in the world look at us and they, you know, maybe they look at the, the life you live and you go, that, that looks like a waste of a life. And that looks like a disappointment. That looks like someone who's weak. They're loving other people. They're peaceful. They're going to church. They're studying the word of God, wasting their time with all of that. Count it a joy to suffer for the sake of righteousness. Jesus in the Beatitudes, back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught his disciples that you're, when you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed because that's how all the prophets before you have suffered. That's how people who served God in the past have suffered. John the Baptist was a blessed man, even while he was in prison. Uh, yet, if you want to be greater than John the Baptist, you, you need to be an even better servant. To be greater than him, to be deserving of more honor in the kingdom, that requires being an even more humble servant than John the Baptist. And uh, I hope 
I hope all of us can say one day that I've, I've been as, as great, as unshakable, as faithful a servant as John. But there was one person who shattered that standard, <laughs> who, who far exceeded John in the case of being humble, who far exceeded John in being a servant. And that was the very man who was commending him right now. Jesus himself said there's no one greater than John the Baptist, but he himself is greater than John the Baptist because he himself was an even greater servant than him. In fact, I want to read from you some verses from Philippians, some very familiar verses probably to a lot of you. But this was the mind of Christ. This is who he was. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Literally, he didn't, he didn't hold on to it for himself, but he opened up. He made himself nothing. He, he emptied his hand, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That was for you and me. Jesus came and was humble and obedient and serving, even to the point of dying a humiliating death on the cross. Now listen to this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was given the name above all names by the Father because he was a servant above all servants. He was humble above all people who are trying to be humble. <laughs> he, was, uh, got, he, he, he emptied himself for you and I and served us. He was obedient to the Father every step of the way. He died to redeem us. Therefore, he's worthy of a name above all of us, even above John the Baptist. If you're here this morning and you've never, you've never considered the life of Jesus, maybe it's the first time you've heard what he's done for you, please listen. God became a man to take the punishment that you deserve. Uh, you and I are sinners. We fall short of God's glory. And what we deserve is to have to reap what we've sown, <laughs> is to, 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 to receive the consequences of our rebellion against God. But God loved us so much that he took it for us. And he became a man, and he was not coming to earth to be served by us. But the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus, came to serve and he did it to the point of taking on a humiliating death on a cross, and more than that, taking on the burden of all the, the spiritual consequences of our sin. And if you want to have eternal life, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, you can turn to him, put your faith in Christ as your Savior, and he will save you. God is faithful to do that. And if you're here this morning and you've trusted in Christ, uh, you know him as your Savior, you, you've already made that decision to trust in him, I want you to consider the example of John the Baptist. Are you concerned about looking weak to the world? Or are you more concerned about serving the Lord? Are you more concerned about being that faithful servant for God? I'll tell you, in the end, you're not going to stand before the people in the world. But after this life, we're all going to stand before our Creator. And what are you going to have to answer for what you've done with your life? Did you, first of all, receive Christ as your Savior? And did you bear fruit serving Him? Were you the humble servant, or did you only seek to please people? 
If you please people, you're going to have nothing to show when you stand before your Creator. If, would, if you would please stand as we prepare for a word of invitation. If you would bow your heads with me, please. God, thank you for revealing to us the life of John the Baptist. Lord, for teaching us through his life, giving us an example to look to, uh, not only of his faithfulness and his humility, Lord, but also your, your faithfulness and your love toward him. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to have a, a heart that is humble before you. Help us all to live a life like him where we're unshakable. Lord, where we're not pursuing just the, the comforts of this world, but Lord, that we're pursuing uh, your blessing. And Lord, I thank you most of all for Jesus Christ. And Lord, for the, the ultimate example he gave us, uh, God, you've shown us what it looks like to be humble. You've shown us what it looks like to be selfless. And I pray that you would help us all to have that same mind this week. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.